Hello and welcome to the Bible with Me podcast from Precept UK. We are a Christian charity based in Salisbury that equips people to know God deeply so they can live differently, using a wide range of Bible study resources for all ages and levels of understanding. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of the ministry, and we would love to encourage you to seek the truth of God's Word for yourself using one of our inductive study books, available at precept.org.uk. Now without further ado, here's Nigel with the latest episode of the Bible with Me podcast. Well, I am really pleased to be welcoming James Davis to the podcast today. James is one of six brothers. Uh, He grew up and was educated in South Wales and after an engineering degree, worked in research and development, sales, marketing and strategic management in the car industry. This led him to travel widely uh, for a number of years before more recently taking up a role with Industry Wales, uh, giving industry advice to government. James loves sport, including golf and skiing. Uh, loves the outdoors and invests much of his time in youth and uh, being part of a Christian summer camp. He's an active member of a local church in South Wales. He's married to Carolyn. Uh, They have two children, Naomi and Joel. And Joel and his wife Emily have just blessed James and Carolyn by giving them their first grandson. Uh, So many congratulations for that. And welcome to the Bible and Me podcast, James. Thank you very much. So, James... um, how did you come to faith in Jesus Christ, firstly, and, and why, why do you follow Jesus? Uh, I, I, I grew, I, I, I'd say first off, I came to call on him when I was sort of 10 years old. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home, understanding that uh, who he was and what he had done for us. Uh, and I, I, I say I came to call on him at the age of 10. I trusted him. I asked him to rescue me, to save me, the language that I had I'd, I'd learnt uh, at that time. Uh, and, and, and at that time, life didn't change, therefore, very much. It was very personal for me. Uh, but there wasn't attested to or affirmed sort of any public way. Uh, and in some ways, I spent the next eight years wondering if it had happened and, and seeking assurance. I, I, I discovered that I wasn't alone in this one. There were There were so many that sort of, wanted to call on Christ again to make sure it, it really happened, etc. Um, I think then there were points where, where God was asking me to, to, to confess Jesus more publicly. Uh, I sort of found that in school, university, and as I started work as well, where, where there were times that I needed to almost publicly confess my belief who Jesus is, you know, first at baptism at, at 14 or or in school, you know, there was an opportunity once for, as a house captain, to take a school assembly where I, I stood up to speak about heaven and hell. I look back now and think, oh, the language I use. But it really was a point where I was called out in school to say, I'm, I, I do believe this. I believe in Jesus Christ. And uh, I remember being in sixth form with a, with a you know, every lunchtime was playing, playing, playing football and a girl said to me, but you're a Christian, you should go to Christian Union. And I had to go and tell the Christian, the football and I won't be coming this week. I need to go to Christian Union or tutorials in university. You're given a subject where you need to present on something. You know, what am I going to choose? Someone chooses sailing and I choose a debate on the resurrection. I think I was probably a lot braver then than I was now, where I think that affirmed uh, to me personally, but also publicly that I was confessing the Lord Jesus Christ with my mouth, as Romans uh, tells us to do. Well, why do I follow him then? Well, I, I looked at this one here. Uh, why do I follow the Lord Jesus Christ? When, when others left the Lord Jesus in, 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 in John 6, the words of Peter come to us, don't they, where, where Christ asked the disciples, will you also leave me? And he says, well, who else could we turn to, Lord, for you have the words 
of eternal life. And, and, and that, that's why I follow. I recognize him as the only true and living God. I recognize him as the God who loved me and gave himself for me. I love those words of, of Paul uh, there in, in the epistles, the, the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Therefore, no one or no thing can be more significant than loving him or following him or knowing him uh, today. Yeah, that, that is great. Yeah. Um, yeah. So age 10, you were young, weren't you? And then uh, and then being uh, challenged to publicly confess your faith. I love that bit of uni, you know, choosing a subject to debate. Right. We're going to debate the resurrection. <laughs> you know, good on you. Good on you. Now, it was strange. The Lord affirmed uh, in university and in school a similar one. When I did that publicly, I didn't know, but. The, 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 the professor leading the tutorial that day was an evangelical Christian, but I just didn't know it. And actually, it was the softest landing ever for a debate when that happened. And when I, when I, on the first morning in work, while I decided to tell someone that I was a Christian and I'd spent the summer going to camps uh, to talk about the Lord Jesus, the person he gave me as a mentor was a Christian, but I didn't know it until I'd opened my mouth. And he, he does that assurance and that affirmation from that confession as well, isn't he? Good on you. Good on you. Um, now, you are one of six brothers. Um, what was it like with six brothers <laughs> growing up, yeah. going yeah. to school? I mean, was there any rivalry at all? Did you beat yeah, it, it, it's very competitive, Marjorie. You can imagine it. I think you, you know, you've got three sons there. It's going to be very competitive in there. So we were seven sons, uh, uh, and the first six were within uh, 10, 11 years. Very competitive. So what was it like growing up? Well, I think really I've got to just acknowledge my, my home first. I, I, the first thing we had was we were loved. An overwhelming feeling of being loved in a stable, extended relationship with parents, grandparents, aunts. I, and, and what I mean by aunts is that extended aunts that come through the church quite often, you know, where we've called them auntie all our life, you know. And we were loved in that way. So so whatever we did, we knew that. We had that, that background. And we were loved sacrificially as well we had very little materially but all that they had we received so so as seven boys we, we had a really good uh, background there but it meant that we spent most of our time outdoors competitive as you say uh on pr- interesting projects uh to do with uh, cars or bikes or motorbikes or uh, uh to have a go building i guess the curiosity that w- would stay with me for most of my life uh, and a belief that we could have a go at almost anything um, because I, uh, failure wasn't the end of the world, but not trying would be the would be the worst thing ever, as brothers tend to do to each other, to egg each other on to these things. And so uh, we're happy to go have a go at everything, including sport. None of us were uh, outstanding at these things, um, but we would have a go at most things, although I must admit that ice skating was one of those things that I truly look back as an absolute failure. Because as far as I'm concerned, it, it just breaks all the laws of physics, doesn't quite work in my head at all so but we'll have a go at anything jack of all and master of none and uh, enjoyed a really good upbringing oh isn't that great now you um after leaving school you gained a mechanical engineering degree at what is now swansea university um and you started out as a graduate engineer with a local automotive automotive components factory which was part of the rover group then and you remained with that company for some 32 years in various guises, uh, being promoted along the way. Um, you had various roles. Um, I'd like to start by asking you about your time up until about 2005, uh, before you took on a wider role in Europe. 
Uh, just give us an idea of, of the work that you were doing, the work that you were involved with in that company. Yeah, well, I look back and see God's hand in these things. I, I, I left university, I had a, a job offer to go to Hemel Hempstead to work with GC Avionics. That was in the March. And in the May, they wrote to me and said, you're the wrong James Davis. This job wasn't for you. So they took the job off me and I thought, I'll, I'll, I'll go end up teaching. But my brother had been working as an apprentice in this components factory that actually my grandfather had worked for for 30 odd years, but many years before. And so when uh, they offered him the job, he said, no, I'm, I'm not going to take the job on. He said, but I've got a brother who can do the job. And that's how I ended up with this company for 32 years. Um, really, really um, blessed by that. There's no doubt for a, for a family uh, for us to have that stability on it. But the, the first few years, almost 15 or so, perhaps up to 20 years, were, were spent in what's called research and development. Uh, really, what that means is thinking of things, designing something, testing it and trying to persuade someone to, to make it or to sell it to a customer. And so, yeah, you, you, were, you were playing with, uh, with big toys at the time. I spent two years, for instance, uh, I think it was 1890, 91, at Solihull, at Gaydon with Land Rover on test tracks and wind tunnels. Uh, in the early 90s, I spent a lot of time in Ingolstadt um, working with Audi. We nearly, we nearly delayed the launch of the new Audi A4 because of disaster. But out of disaster, of course, that fairly comes friendships and lessons learned of it all. So I had, a, I had a really enjoyable time working on engine cooling, powertrain, climate control, exhausts, cockpit modules, electronics, almost anything that, the, that went into a car, uh, either in the, the bonnet or under the bonnet or in the cabin itself. Um, but, of course, part of that was serious as well. We, 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 the automotive industry was a tough industry. We went through redundancies, um, knowing sometimes if you were pitching for business, Originally, business was won through relationship, uh, confidence in you as an engineer. But by the end, it was run by won by price, knowing that, you know, the pressure of winning that next business, if not, you were going back and perhaps 20, 30, 40, 50 people would lose work uh, within a production factory if you didn't get those, those sort of orders. So the lessons started to come thick and fast and the stresses and pressures that come with that uh, from a work point of view. You know, I remember 94, probably three months not sleeping uh, because uh, one of the designs we put forward was falling over and uh, the, the new Audi A4 as it went on to become and also the Passat as well, that platform meant that we were going to delay the whole production for them. How do, how do we find an answer to that? And then sort of uh, a few years later, the Nissan, Nissan Qashqai launch, I probably lost nine months of my life there working seven days a week, uh, a couple of hours of sleep at night as we try to resolve the issues with that launch itself. I guess the Lord was bringing us into resilience, reliance on him. The fact that, that my faith is not separate from my work life and that everything is, is, uh, can be entrusted to him. Um, the, the stomach churning experiences of helplessness sort of brought me into not a confidence in myself, but into, into things that I could do or techniques that I could cope with that probably then allowed me to go forward within the company itself as regards patterns of behaviors or tools or techniques or be able to take on larger issues. And perhaps I got to that at that point. Yeah. Wow. 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 Interesting. Uh, talking about the different cars that you're involved with. I mean, cash car, they're all over the place these days, aren't they? Uh, very... That's the problem. You all started buying them. We were only, we were only going to make a hundred thousand a year and then suddenly you all started buying them and they wanted 300,000 within six months. And that's why I lost nine months of sleep. Wow. It was too successful. <laughs> now, in 2005, you took on a European operations role as president with sites in seven countries. 
and opening up factories in Romania and Russia. Uh, and I'm guessing this involved a lot of travel, time away. Um, give us an idea of, of this particular role that you had. And also, you know, were you able to share your faith uh, at that time, uh, at your work, on your travels? What was the culture like um, from a Christian perspective as you were doing the job? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I, I sometimes describe this as moving from project work to, to working with people uh, and with plants um, or factories in, in different countries. A lot of travel. The schedule moved really to a monthly pattern by that time. I would travel on a Monday and travel home on a Thursday, giving me Friday, Saturday, Sunday, um, which was were consistent with the family and with the church itself. Uh, but also meeting a lot of new folk, um, a lot of new languages, cultures, uh, countries um, and 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 some of that good a lot you know I I'm, I'm I have friends now in Tennessee that are from a, a crew of people that I built in Izhesk a thousand kilometers east of Moscow and um, when I unfortunately had to shut that factory late on we were able to move uh, for the workforce to Tennessee and um, today you know they're back and forth on on different things uh, that were friendships that I think uh, will long last. Uh, my, leaving the industry itself um, but you know a tough occasions as well where you know we were open factories one moment and we were having to shut factories and I remember standing up in in Poland to the workforce there to tell them that we were moving the factory to Romania not that they'd done anything wrong at all but just the way that the customer had decided to go in a different direction and uh, the, 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 those sort of friendships I think they treated me far better than I, I truly deserved uh, outlast for what it is. I, I, I think faith sharing, though, is frustrating. Uh, and I share that with you because in the workplace, when you're meeting people just for a meeting or a dinner, a formal dinner in the evening, and then you're moving on rather than meeting them every day and building that relationship, I found that quite frustrating to share faith. Um, I, I, I guess we were learning and the Lord was teaching us the lesson that, that, that how we conduct ourselves, the way that the attitude that we have, the the, the things that we stand for, the values and the ethos that we stand for, are interwoven with everything that we we do in front of them, you know. Um, and and from there was a basis by which we could talk of faith, but we didn't do a lot of speaking of faith. And I I felt that frustration quite a bit in that period of time, where it was just like you were meeting someone for a, a few moments and then you were on to something else. Um, but we had to reflect that these things are in his time scale and the role that we have may not be a leading role. It might be just simply a link in the chain that we are, we are evidencing God's grace. We're evidencing his kindness through our work, through our values, through the way that we conduct ourselves. But we may not be doing the preaching as much as we like to stand up in a pulpit to preach. That was not going to happen. But we were building relationship. Uh, and I suppose that's the, the crumb of comfort I have in that, that the relationships have extended beyond that. And it's interesting in the last year, isn't it, you know, with Facebook, that friends that you've gained over the last 20 to 30 years now hear your testimony and hear your teaching and your preaching on a weekly basis where before you just didn't have the opportunity to do that. And it's good then to hear their response or their comments or to see that you know, they're liking these things and pray that the word of God is now coming through where before it was the, the way that you worked with them, the, the things that you said to them, the way that you supported them rather than the direct word of God at that time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it is a balance, isn't it? There is a balance because you're, you're working with these people. You, you may want to gain their business. And, of course, 
Yeah, you, you want to be you want to be a witness, um, but it may not always be appropriate to you know ask that question. You know, are you washed in the blood of Jesus <laughs> with someone that you're trying to sign a contract with. <laughs> and increasingly difficult, isn't it? Because the, the workplace pressure now, uh, uh, you know, they, they they don't want us to speak on any subject at all. Um, and, 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 you know, we already see some of the issues that are occurring in industrial tribunals where Christians have said things or stood up for things. Uh, and they, they, they're, they're trying to uh, make the whole conversation so bland that you couldn't, you know, equity and equality and inclusion. Quite rightly, we're not to be prejudiced in any of these issues at all. But, you know, how can you stand for the truth of the word of God? That's going to be an increasing difficulty, difficulty that I had. And at some point, I guess, I had a platform that I could say something, but it would be perhaps not appropriate for I for me to use that platform. Yeah. But never does that excuse us from really not showing the kindness and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and making it evident that it's because of those values that you have in yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, from 2010 to 2017, you started work for the Japanese headquarters um, which has sort of overtaken the business with a huge responsibility and were away most weeks and ended up living in Japan for, for from 2015 to 2017. Uh, what is living in Japan like? Um, and what is their view of Christians? <laughs> uh, were they open to the gospel? I, I'm interested personally as well, because I'm going to be going to Japan uh, within the next few months to play some tennis, actually. Um, so, yeah, what I mean... I guess totally different culture and what was it like? Uh, well, I'd worked for the Japanese since 1989. I started traveling there in 91 the first time uh, and uh, nearly missing Christmas the, the, the year my daughter was born. And in some ways I did because of the food poisoning. I wasn't quite used to the shellfish at that time. Uh, you'll, you'll love Japan, Nigel, and, and they love tennis, as, you, as you'll know as well. And they play, play it uh, at a good level uh, for uh, many, many years. Uh, but from 2010, as you say, I was there twice a month, uh, sort of commuting at the time from the, my UK home before it reversed in the last few years where I commuted home twice a month instead. Um, my boss at the time uh, was very good to ensure that the jobs that I had always meant that I was on a plane most weekends so that I could use Heathrow as a stopping off point uh, at the time. Life in Japan it was, was, was very good. Um, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's different. Monday to Friday is work. Uh, and what I mean by that is it really is 8, eight o'clock in the morning until 8 o'clock at night. And, and that's for the senior staff. And the senior staff had to leave at 8 o'clock at night. so that Because if, if you didn't leave at 8 o'clock, no one went home. And they would work till 10, 11 o'clock in the evenings. But then come the weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, um, then you get the opportunity to go and see and meet a very beautiful country and people. Uh, and I have a brother now living there. And we hope very much to be able to return and to visit them, of course, and to see friends that I've got there over the 30 years and to see more of the country. Although we've done much of what people would say are the big sites, such as the Snow and Ice Festival in Sapporo. I'm sure you'd love to go skiing up in Sapporo yourself on it. But, uh, you know, I, but on the other hand, the Japanese are very respectful on faith. They're curious, but they're lightly curious. They, they mostly no longer believe in their own religion or faith, but they remain faithful to a ancestor's beliefs or religion. Um, they will, won't be the generation to break tradition. Uh, duty and tradition is a significant part for them. 
They therefore assume that your faith is pretty much the same, a valuable cultural tradition, not a, a real, alive, living relationship. Uh, and I, I think it makes it quite difficult to evangelize, particularly as the men with a work-life balance means that they're not very open for time to consider these things. They, they work hard, they party hard, and they sleep hard, and there's not a lot in between. Um, we were able to attend uh, an international um, uh, OMF uh, church yeah, where in the town that I lived, and that did an English service and a Japanese service. And, of course, it would mean that most of them there are, are female and the, the works that they would do were to, were to do with the children, uh, which, unfortunately, in that culture means that they, they're accessing the mothers mostly only uh, at that time. There were a few on overseas assignments that when they went abroad, uh, they, they made confessions of Christ, uh, and they were, they were excited, and they were very committed. And yet when I met them back in Japan, they, they, were, they were finding it difficult to adjust to this work-life, social-life balance. Um, and it, it keeps them quite tight from breaking free into what we would see as a family church um, um, uh, experience. Um, so, yeah, it, it needs much prayer uh, for it. There are a, a great deal of work going out there. Uh, but they would also continue to ask for our prayer in these matters. What, what is their pri- Do they have a primary religion, would you say, in Japan? Well, yeah, they, they've got Shintoism and they've got Buddhism. And I think really in some ways they've merged some of these things together. Um, so they would take tradition of particularly New Year's Day, uh, ancestor um, memorial and uh, remembrance and this type, of, this type of things. But it's Shintoism with Buddhism infused with, uh, with the philosophy ethic. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I have a nephew who's um, married to a lady whose brother has been uh, in Japan as like a, a missionary to Japan, and he's sort of come to and from a lot in Japan. You know, learnt the language. Did you speak the language? Did you get to speak the language? No, we say in Welsh to back. I spoke a little, a little bit. I had a one-to-one translator, um, which unfortunately made me very lazy. Um, and yeah. so I, my Japanese really was only to, to learn something for the, the formal occasions and also some, some sort of New Year Day speeches that I'd need to give to the team, etc. So, so definitely. Did they, did they speak English? They speak English, and uh, I was the sort of first non-Japanese member of the, of, of the team there. So they made the change at a business level to English in 2010. Uh, all, the, all documents and all business discussions had to be in English, except when they talked about people in HR. I, I, in the end, I said, and do it in Japanese. I'll live with a translation on this because when they were talking about people, they really wanted to get into the sort of, uh, they were very careful how they, they should phrase different things. They wanted to do that in, in, in Japanese. But other than that, all the business language was English by the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Great. Well, I am looking forward to going, I have to say. Now, uh, what was it? How did you cope with being away from the family so much? Because, I mean, I know a little bit about that, having been in the army, but how did, how did you cope with that? Yeah. Well, I, I, in case my wife and, and, and daughter and son are going to listen to this podcast, which I suspect they are, I think I'm going to turn that around a bit first. I think they coped admirably with me being away. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, it was just the little things recently over the last. You realize how much you, I put off going to Japan for, for a number of years um, uh, when they were in their teenage years uh, to the point that they were at A level or going to university. Um, so put it off for about um, seven or eight years at the time uh, and then committed that would try to make it work. 
in that period of time, there are things that, that I hadn't really realized that I'd missed out of, but they were having to make decisions, you know. My daughter speaks recently of I having to make A-level choices and calling me up when I was away to tell her, tell me their GCSE results and the choices they were thinking to take, you know. My son's thesis, the format's blue at sort of nine o'clock in the morning. I was in Chicago at three o'clock in the morning trying to advise him how to print something out in Swansea. In the, in the next couple of hours, you know, so they 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 they, they took on my wife took Karen and took on the heavy lifting on many of these different issues on it. So they were amazing. They still are amazing, uh, and they 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 managed. Uh, I I really hadn't had much interest in pursuing career, but I had been open to things. So I didn't ever move companies, but I'd been open to different things. Uh, and and life really was very busy. That's the same for most people. So there's no difference in that. But the reason why I say that was when I went to Japan for the last few years, it, it, it dramatically changed. So even in the first five years of traveling out of Japan or through Japan, you know, every weekend was either at home or traveling. Uh, and uh, you know, we, were, we were probably on average around uh, four or five flights a week at the time. Uh, when I got home, incredibly busy with uh, family and with church, catching up and different things. Suddenly in the last two years, Two weekends a month, I had more downtime than I had ever experienced in my life. Uh, not public preaching, um, no friends or family to catch up with. Work was busy Monday to uh, Friday evening. Friday evening came, <laughs> you were on pause. Uh, Saturday, you might arrange something, a quick game of golf or something. Uh, and then Saturday evening, very quiet. Sunday, service at 9.30 in the morning, over by 10.30, the, the, the weekend stretched ahead of you. And suddenly, the excuses of being too busy to do different things were all taken away from me. And that was the time. I'm not, not saying that there was a, a problem to cope with. I could cope with the time. But suddenly the Lord was saying, you know, all that time that you've never had, you've just got it in abundance and the word of God uh, and and praying were the two significant lessons, really, in that, that two years. Not to say that I gained special insight, but I realized that I had time to read and not to read to preach. Because a lot of my time before that probably was I was studying to preach. Or I had time to pray, but not to pray publicly, but to pray privately. And, um, and learning lessons to read and to listen and to spend time in the quiet hours probably after 30 years was the first time in my life that i i had an opportunity to do that um and, and that remains with me now because then suddenly the word of god and prayer is not for activity or for preaching mm. but for building relationship mm. uh, learning and listening and an understanding the conversation that we the way that we pray publicly is very different to the conversation that we have with God, with a, with a, with our Lord, with our friend that we have. So I, I, it's not a matter of coping for me. It was just a matter of that Lord for two years give me opportunity and time that I'd always said I didn't have to just hear, listen, and, and to talk, to pray with him. Um, of course, those are not things that you, you suddenly learn and you're done with. You'll continue to do that. I think that was of great value to me over the last few years. Um, I, I love what you said there. It's, um, yeah, not not reading it to preach or some activity, but reading it 
to develop that relationship actually i think that's so important and meditating and listening you said listening you know reading the word to listen i think is a great thing you said there as well um, and listening takes time doesn't it and instead of doing hearing and listening you know really listening is is actually quite difficult um but um, we know the word of God is powerful and it's, it's, um, it transforms our thinking and hence our actions, you know, what we do, doesn't it? And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But, but uh, yeah, that, that, that's great. Um, and obviously as a ministry, we're here to help people to do what you're talking about there, to really get into it and dig into it and to, to, to do that meditating and listening and, do, and growing the relationship. With, with the Lord, you know, I often cite this, you know, why did I end up marrying my wife? Because I spent time with her, getting to know her and, you know, and then I said, hey, I want to marry you. <laughs> and how do we get to know God? Well, we get to know God by spending time getting to know him. It's the same, isn't it? Yeah, um, I, I, I've been jealous of those people who had routine. Um and in my my false way, I was suggesting time. You know? and, and and yet, what the two years teaches you is that 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 you 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 take you take the time because you value the time more because you're valuing the person more. But also, what what I struck me was that what what you do in the quiet during the day comes back to you. And, and this is of God, not the work of the Spirit, isn't it? Because you'll read something in the morning you think that's interesting and what's the lord trying to teach me on that one then and you pause and you're listening and you say well are you going to tell me now lord and and you don't always find there's an answer there and then during the day something happens and something occurs and the scripture comes back to your mind and you think oh that's what that was about and i i think you know if i had not had that in the morning you would not be so aware of the context of what it's you have during the day so so we're listening in the period of time that we're reading the word of god but we're we're just conscious throughout the way the day there that the lord's going to teach us something from this word during the day in some other context as it comes up and then he goes oh that that, that's what that's about not always but that's that's very helpful i think in that area no i mean it is and, and being sensitive to the leading of the spirit i think it's important I, I was down at our village shop just just literally this week and um there was a, 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 looking back on it, it was a, it was an absolute god god thing and it, it was it's a small village it's a small village shop with a little car park and, and there's this couple standing there next to this extremely old car and and they were standing there. It was a lovely day, and I just went out. I said, "Oh, what an amazing car!" You know, and and I said, uh, "You know, how old is the car?" And they said, "Have a guess." And so, I mean, I haven't got a clue. You'd know, you'd know right away. I said, "Oh, uh, nineteen twenty-eight." I said, "He said, well, you're not pretty close, nineteen twenty-four, and it was a Humber, nineteen twenty-four Humber." And, and, and anyway, uh, we we just chatted about also, and he was that he had been at the same school as my dad, and. and I mean, it was just all sorts of amazing connections. And, and as I was talking to him, I just, I just felt prompted by the Holy Spirit. That's all I can say. And, and I say this sometimes it's either it's either indigestion or the Holy Spirit, you know. And uh, and I and I just asked them both, um, you know, are you people of faith? And and I'd I'd been talking to them for about half an hour, forty minutes. So I developed some sort of rapport with them. And I just felt, you know, and it was we've been studying two Timothy about suffering for the gospel and being a witness and obviously Paul writing Timothy to pass it on and to entrust to faithful men, all that stuff. 
And I just felt maybe it was after that time of studying to Timothy that I felt, you know what, there's an opportunity to share about Jesus um, from the Word of God. And, and it led on to a, a really great conversation. Um, and uh, I ended up, when we finished, I wrote them a letter and, and I have a tract. I have a beautiful tract. Uh, you know, for those who are not sure, it's like a Christian story that I can share. And, and it was a story of World War I and a guy being shot and ending up in the bottom of a trench and dying. And, and he turns to his buddy in the trench, fellow soldier, saying, I am about to die. How do I get to heaven? Yeah. And, and his buddy didn't know how to get to heaven, didn't know what to say. And, and, and in the tract, he says, there we were, brought up in Christian England. Yeah. And my buddy's about to die. And I can't, I can't. And anyway, uh, for those that are listening, if you want to get hold of the tract, I would be delighted to send it to you. So do contact us through Precept and I'll get it to you. It's a fantastic story. Anyway, I sent this to to um, to John and Marion and I was on the I was on the phone to them today actually and they said we read that and it was it was great, fascinating and so I think it's what we're saying is we're we're, we're wanting to apply appropriately what we're reading and studying and meditating on into our everyday life, aren't we? We're sort of yeah, make those connections. Yeah, and it's not—it's not sort of you know scheduling the day. You know, this is time with the Lord. This is now work time. You know, that, you know, you know. Or this is all time with the Lord. Okay, we just we have intensity periods of doing different things. Uh, but that He's He is with us in in all the work we do, the mundane things, the routine things, and being conscious or tuned into when when God is prompting us to to say something or to do something slightly different on on, on these things and uh, I, I think we, we we perhaps need to be a little more conscious of our all our stomach churning moments where, where where god's saying yeah, there is something you could do here it might not be deliberate it might be a trap it might be I, I love those little new new testament or the gospels of john that came out in that format from world war one didn't they also you know i had about a dozen of them on my desk in the office, and everyone some expressed some interest on of what it was. Everyone was able to say, "Well, you, you, you're welcome to have one of those." <laughs> I don't think that broke any rules because they'd asked what they were. It just happened to be on my desk. And uh, another chap uh, in Japan, an expat. Yeah, we were there for the East Japan earthquake and tsunami uh, issues, and his uh, his his wife was on the tenth floor of uh, an apartment block, and it was a, a dreadful first incident. Course, they, all the communications went down, so she was expecting their first children. She and, and it was a real tough experience. He, he ended up sort of sprinting about 30 minutes back to try and get hold of her because he couldn't rescue her. And she'd gone up, down 10 step, flights of steps. I think she was about seven or eight months pregnant. And then this, the aftershock came 30 minutes later, and she, of course, had come, gone back up and had come back down again, and she was quite distraught. Thereafter, he uh, he really re uh, brought his life back to the Lord, and he came up to me and said, "He said on my desk, in the middle of the headquarters in Japan, was now a New Testament. So every and he was a senior man. Every Japanese who came to the desk would have to say to him, what's this Bible about? What's this book about here? And just those little things that we can do dur- during the day, be tuned into how God is prompting us to Absolutely to- brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Now, you, um, you've moved on from the automotive industry and you're working for Industry Wales. Um, and you started that initially as part-time, but now full-time. So just uh, briefly, tell us a little bit about your work uh, with them. Yeah, I, I, they... 
uh, it's good Welsh Government for the Minister of Economy and Transport. Uh, sort of, uh, the, the line I have is to give unfettered advice, but it's only regarding the fun- economy and transport. So, uh, And that really is to try and ensure that we've got quality of employment back within our, within our country. Uh, sustainable employment, quality of employment, you know, um, prospects, um, reward, uh, security of employment, those type of things. So uh, from a technology engineer and manufacturing background, uh, that's sort of most of the, the sort of advice we give on policy or practice or procurement or, or just, you know, I, I'm, I'm very conscious of a return back to Wales that I, 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 I joined one company. I enjoyed 32 years in there. It was a company my grandfather had worked for 30 odd years from 1943 to 72. Um, and then the next generation doesn't have that quality of employment. So how do we sort of bring that sort of uh, to to the communities that we work in and live in, you know? And I, I think a lot of our communities are doing very well. But of course, a lot of communities are being left behind. And for us in Wales, we've got we've got certain areas, particularly the, the northern end of the valleys, where we've got generational issues going on right there right now that... That uh, you know, employment is now of very poor standard. Um, the prospects are very poor. Those who are able to move away with work and, and tend to live away with work, uh, it's causing some some difficult issues within the uh, for people for for the next generation in particular. So I'm, I'm very privileged to be able to to give this sort of advice uh, and work on different things by which we can anchor employment in there. It's interesting, isn't it? I conscious at the moment as well that the churches are leaving these areas as well um churches are doing very well in certain areas uh, but as as christians um move on with employment more often than not and homes then uh, then there are some areas now where where the, the christian evangelical faith really is is being left behind as well so and it seems to me that i have about, about another two years ten months with this role uh, and then probably I'm back home doing something different uh, within the communities that okay. uh, God has placed us. Okay. Now, um, you are very involved in your local church uh, and also investing in young people. Um, what is your involvement in, in church and, and why why are you so active and, and um, why do you do that? Yeah, so now I grew up in a, in a sort of community gospel hall, it's called, and... Um, uh, I'm now in a community gospel hall. Nigel, you've been there. You know where it is. It's in the middle of a, of a council estate in, in the town of Neath. Um, uh, most of our work has always been in tr- with the children and the youth, uh, but obviously uh, I, I help now with the leadership, eldership of the, of the church there, uh, with the preaching and teaching as well. Uh, it, it's, I, I, I think Christianity is not a spectator sport. And, and, uh, and if you go to a small gospel hall or a small community evangelical church, you'll find that everyone gets puts in as much as they receive. And that's what we do. It's an extended family um, as to what we are with the difficulties and trials of the day. And we're there to build each other up and we're there to sort of make sure that we're the light within the community that he's placed us. So uh, when we put our hand to the wheel, we don't turn back at that point. And I sort of, uh, our children are followed on in that way. Um, it's not without its trials, um, but it's been a great f- source of blessing to us as a family. Uh, and I hope that we seek to bless those that we gather with as well. Yeah, very good. Very good. Um, we talked about the word of God. Why, why, why is the word of God important to you? Yeah, I, I think uh, I, I love the way that you call it the word of God. You know, uh, 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 I think that that answers this question. It's, you know, we can talk, call it the Bible. We can call it, call it the Holy Scriptures. But, you know, the word of God declares 
God the Father, especially through his son, Jesus Christ, the word of God. And, and he tells us, doesn't he? He tells, he tells the disciples in John, yeah, he that has seen me has seen the Father. And he tells the disciples, don't you recognize the Father in me? Have I been with you so long and you haven't seen him? And therefore, the, the role of the word of God is, that, is, is, is to change us, to introduce us to and to change us into, the, into his likeness, the, the word and the Holy Spirit changing every area of our life, our language, our conduct, our attitude, and decision-making. But that's well down the, the pipeline. It's almost the last thing to consider when reading the Word of Life because it's really about meeting someone that you, that you, you, you fall more in love with day by day because of all that they are and all that they've done. And, and, and no one wants to hear my ideas about that. And no one wants to hear man's ideas or mankind's ideas about that. We want to hear it from from the person who we're seeking to, to know, as you spoke about uh, with Molly, your wife. You, know, you, you want to hear that in relationship. And the word of God's the way of doing that. It's, it's the, the, the daily reading is part of that, learning more about him, how that works out practically. Yes, of course, but reminding us about who it is that we're, we're seeking to follow, who it is we're seeking to know. And I, and I find that we only tune into that through the busyness of our life through that 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 simple reading listening and hearing of his word on, on a daily basis and and therefore it impacts i hope every area of my life including my work life uh, i'll look back at that in a few years time but i hope that will be the, be the case yeah 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 excellent i mean the youth in your church have done many many precept studies uh, of our of our 40 minute series studies uh, over the years um, what have you seen about that and the impact of them engaging with the Word of God through through those precept studies? And what have you sort of picked up and noticed? I know that one of your fellow fellow elders has been very involved with that as well, Andrew. Yeah, absolutely. They they've led the the Sunday uh, the Sunday uh, work for many years now. I would I I'm thinking about this, but it must be a dozen years perhaps that we that they've been doing precept uh, over that time every sunday but it's extended beyond that as you know not only with you visit when you visit to, to to speak with the church but also other generations within the church have picked up pre, um, precept studies over the years so you know what 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 it showed me immediately was it brought them into access to the word you know it brought it brought them into the word how to tackle big subjects or subjects through the word of god themselves i i worry sometimes about great preachers and great sermons are making us lazy about coming to the word personally ourselves and the sort of inductive method has allowed not only our youth but folk from many backgrounds many education levels to come and do to read and study a passage with a confidence uh that they they were that the, and, and a sort of uh methodology that allows them to hear to listen to learn to follow to obey to, to apply um always starting with recognizing the characters who christ is what christ has to say in these matters uh, and then practically working it through and, and it's been a real joy to to the youth which are no longer youth now but now youth leaders uh, to see that, that 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 it's brought them into the Word of God and confidence in how to read and understand the Word of God. Yeah, yeah, and it's been wonderful to hear some of those youth that have left, grown up, maybe got married and moved away, and they're now involved in 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 discipling other youth in other churches. You know, that's happened as well, which has been a real real blessing. 
to see. Yeah. I mean, if you're listening to this and, and you're interested in, in um, what James has been saying and, and you are struggling maybe with, well, how do I do, how do I get youth involved in the Bible and studying the Bible? You know, please, please do contact us. Uh, these 40 minute studies that we have are topical, they're very relevant and they're very engaging for people and, and teach them uh, simple skills for for reading, studying, and living out the Word of God, and if you can if you can imbibe that in young people at a young age, then that's going to stay with them. So it's been a blessing. Um, do you have a favourite character in the Bible or a book? Maybe is the one that you sort of go to person, or, or other than Jesus, of course, <laughs> um, or book of the Bible that you just love or had a real impact on you? Or I'm reading. I'm reading through the Kings at the moment, so I'm I'm at Elisha. So just a, a brief call out for Elisha, because uh, I just struck about the mundane things in life that he trusted God for. You know, he'd be with kings one moment, and he'd be re- resurrection another moment, and then an axe would fall into the water, and they couldn't do their work of the day. You know, and there was nothing that he didn't bring before God. But if you if you look at long term, I I I look at uh, Simon Peter. Um, I recognize in him uh, someone that I that I value because he discovered that lessons were to be learned in life. Failure was not final. Massive highs and real lows, uh, but recovery from all those, God's grace to him in, in all those different circumstances, that means that I probably find myself closer to a Peter than to an Elisha. I, I yearn to be an Elisha perhaps. Yeah, you know, I think the thing about Peter, um, he denied Christ three times at Christ's, you know, critical time. And who would be the one person that you would not entrust the future of Christianity to? It it would be Peter. If it was me, well, you denied me at my critical moment, you know, get out of here. But, But Jesus doesn't do that with him, does he? No, and, and and he exposes in that time that you're you're speaking of here that, that reconciliation. He exposes him to Peter. Peter, this is about love, isn't it? You love me, yeah. and you love these people. Yeah. And you're, you're, as a leader, you know, if you love me, then you'll love these these sheep, these flock, these flock. Yeah. You know, and it was interesting, wasn't it? I was reading that also. I guess it was a couple of days ago now. Uh, yeah, just finishing John yesterday, and 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 in that point where. The six of them decided to go fishing. Yeah, you know, it's the Lord's re- risen again. Why are we going fishing? There's <laughs> a, a yearning in Peter, and he's thinking, "I perhaps I should go back to to do a bit of fishing as well." You know, I'll do a bit of covering the both of them. There's a bit of a yearning, and and the Lord says, "Well, you know, I, I, you've got you've got those big fish out of the net here." But he's prepared the little breakfast on the beach, you know, and the and the fish is there. He said, "All all you needed was." I've given you the bread and the fish here. And then he said, now, Peter, this is going to be the big lesson for you. Let's learn this three times. Do, do you love me? If you love me, you're going to love these, these folk. And, and, uh, and, and I think that's probably one of the big things for me. If I love the Lord, then I need a certain lot loving everyone that he's given or brought to us. Yeah. The founder of Precept, Kay Arthur, um, was in Salisbury some years ago. And uh, or was coming to Salisbury for a conference, and uh, we bumped into some Americans in Salisbury, some tourists, and we just engaged in conversation. I don't know, I just sort of sensed they may be Christians, and I just said, "Hey, have you heard of a lady, American lady called Kay Arthur and her husband Jack?" And this lady, American lady, Kay Arthur, they said, she has a heart as big as Texas. 
And she said she loves the Lord and she loves people, you know. And, and I think, here's the thing, I think if you, if you do love the Lord, you're going to love people because you're going to love what God loves. Yeah. And God loves people. So I just think it was a beautiful uh, sort of summary. She has a heart as big as Texas, you know, and I think that's it. You know, if we love God, then we're going to love people. And so there's, there's a challenge for all of us. If, if we don't, if we're not loving people or have a heart for people, then we've got to examine our own relationship with the Lord, maybe, you know. Yeah. What about a favorite verse? Well, I'm, 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 in the week that I, I, I met, Seth, my grandson, I'm going to go for a memory verse that, that I was told to find in the scriptures. I was just told to go find a verse that's got the word haste in it, in the authorised version. And so uh, this is a strange one, perhaps, but uh, my first memory verse that I recall from the scriptures is, and they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Of course, that's been the experience this week, as to visit Joel and Emily and see little Seth lying in a Moses basket, uh, as it is. But I think it's a little lesson in life, isn't it? How excited are we to come and meet with the one who lies originally in a manger, then on a cross, but now in heaven? Now, how excited are we? I don't know, shepherds were just delighted to come and discover what he was like. Because when they came and discovered, it was not what they imagined or what they thought, but he was far, far um, better. Uh, and I think that's, what, 46 years ago, probably, 47 years ago, uh, as my first memory verse. I'll stay with that one. I'll come with faith, haste and find Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And I think that's a, it's a great place to, to maybe draw stumps, as it were. Uh, so, James, um, thank you for being uh, prepared to... Uh, come on the Bible and Me podcast today. I think, uh, you know, it's a lovely story, your journey of travel and, you know, home life, work life, church. Um, obviously, God's used you mightily in, in, in what you've been doing. Um, and I'm sure had a great influence over a lot of people. I, I just, um, yeah, thank you for uh, what you're doing, preaching and investing in, 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 in the lives of others. Lovely to hear the whole business about family, the importance of family and extended family. And now your granddad. <laughs> um, so, so bless you, you know, and, uh, and I, you know, we need to exhort each other to persevere, don't we, to carry on. Uh, and I love what you said there at the end about uh, let's make haste to come and see Jesus. So uh, really appreciate you being on the podcast and uh, may the Lord continue to bless you in your work with the Welsh Government. And uh, and uh, I'm still not going to pray that Wales beat England at football, but... Um... <laughs> well, I understand that, Michael. That's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll agree to disagree on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so thank you so much for being on the on the podcast today. Take care. Good bless.